Hello, and welcome to the Better Strangers podcast. I am still picking out what type of music I want to start this with. Uh, This week I went with like 80s rock synth sounds. Um, So we'll see how people like that, and maybe I'll change it. Uh, This is going to be a weekly part of my Substack newsletter. Um, For a while at least, I'm just going to be recording audio versions of old articles I did. I hope to eventually turn the podcast into something where there are interviews and kind of like a book club style thing. But uh, I don't really know how it's going to go yet. So uh, yeah, I guess we're just going to learn. Also apologize for the quality. I've got a microphone in an echoey room and occasionally I have small kids running around and screaming. So uh, just bear with me. Go figure it out. This week's podcast is a reading of an article I wrote August of last year called Be More Biased. Back in journalism school, one golden rule was hammered into our heads. Don't let bias seep into your reporting. Our opinions and preferences had no good place in journalism. We were to report just the facts and to allow our audience to develop their own interpretations of those facts. Given that we now live in an age of misinformation, I feel qualified as a journalism grad to offer this following criteria for determining whether or not your preferred media source is biased or not. One. Is your media source an all-knowing, infinite being capable of seeing all moments and details throughout all of human history at once? Two, is this beautiful being of pure light capable of transmitting all of these details of the entirety of space-time to you in a single shimmering packet of mathematical data untinged by human language's woeful inability to express the totality of all knowledge? And three, are you the recipient of said knowledge with your pitiful human mind that operates only in linear time and embarrassing limited sensory parameters, capable of understanding said knowledge, thus becoming an omniscient demigod transcending space and time, a miracle that would be on par with, nay, would far exceed that of a bacterium understanding a supernova? If your answer to any of those three questions is no, then the news media source you're reading is biased. It is still not, to my knowledge, taught in journalism school that objectivity is bullshit and that there is no such thing as unbiased news. The mainstream media still holds these concepts in high regard, and as a result, much of the country believes that unbiased news is actually a thing and gets furious when they detect bias in a work of journalism. This has some disturbing implications for how our society operates, so it's worth closely looking at the concept of bias. So what is bias? Bias, in short, is prejudice. Prejudice does not need to be against certain types of people, though it often is. It can also be against things and ideas. Most of us have been taught that prejudice is a bad thing, and when it's against broad groups of people, say, a race, a religion, or an ethnicity, it is. But you can also be prejudiced against, say, people who punch children in the face. That, many of us would argue, is a good type of prejudice. But making that argument is in itself an act of bias. The kid puncher lobby will be absolutely furious with you for saying that. Prejudice is inescapable because you are a human being. Human beings occupy a specific place in both space and time and must see from where they stand. You cannot escape or transcend this fact. All of your thoughts and opinions are influenced by a lifetime of experience. Your body, your mind, your personal history, your family, your religious background, your culture, your gender, your ethnicity, your sexual orientation, your economic background, the time in which you live, and literally anything and everything else that has borne any sort of influence on you in your entire life. There is no way to extricate yourself from that web. You in a different time or place or body is a different you, and you would not feel or think the same things. Any attempt to transcend your context and view things from some godlike perch on high is, A, inevitably going to be biased towards people like you because you're not fucking God, and B, is like the textbook definition of hubris. In spite of this, most of us like to still imagine that there are some greater objective moral truths. 
And maybe there are. Maybe someday we'll crack the code and we'll figure out which religion is right or discover the formula for truth. But the current reality is that humans have never agreed completely on what is right and what is wrong. Uh, The following is a quote from Hunter Thompson's uh, Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail. With the possible exception of things like box scores, race results, and stock market tabulations, there is no such thing as objective journalism. The phrase itself is a pompous contradiction in terms. Let's take an easy example. Killing is bad. You probably believe this. You also probably believe that there are times when it is right to kill people. You may be one of the millions of Americans who believe that the bombing of Hiroshima was justified. You may believe that freedom fighters in a land of your choice, whether that's Ireland, Palestine, Syria, revolutionary America, or 1980s Afghanistan, but definitely not 21st century Afghanistan, are justified in killing if it means protecting their interests. You may believe that it is right to kill someone in self-defense, or you might be a pacifist, Or you believe that all killing is good and that we should just squid game each other until only one dominant human remains. Regardless of what your exact opinion is, it is likely not shared by most people. Most people will have a qualm with at least one aspect of your opinion. And with with no consensus on this fundamental moral question, there can be no objective correct take. Anyone claiming to have the correct take is either claiming to be God and just no, or is taking a side and as such is biased. I would argue that if someone claims to be God, you should cross to the other side of the street. But none of us blink when the entire journalistic establishment makes this claim. Now, this does not mean that journalists can't be fair. Fairness is much more simple. If you're writing a story about specific people, you give them a chance to speak for themselves. A good example of fair of a fair piece of journalism is the OG true crime podcast, the first season of Serial. In it, the interviewer Sarah Koenig gave everyone involved in the story a chance to give their side. Anand Syed, the convicted murderer, his friend Jay, who implicated him, the investigators, friends and families. It was not, of course, perfect fairness. The murder victim, Heyman Lee, was not able to give her side of the story, but Sarah Koenig allowed everyone she reasonably could give a chance to speak a chance to speak. This does not mean that Serial is unbiased. Koenig regularly gave her opinions throughout the course of the podcast and in the end had conclusions about the case. Her conclusions, and it appears her intentions in covering the stories, had less to do with the whodunit aspect of the murder case, and much more to do with the inner workings of the American justice system, which she viewed as shockingly flawed. She later went back to this topic with the much less listened to, but still pretty fucking great, third season of the show in which she spent months in a single courthouse in Cleveland dissecting the day-to-day business of sending people to jail. Now, just because Koenig was not for or against the specific perpetrator does not mean that she was not biased. It just means her viewpoint was focused on something else. And this is the lesson. All narrators, even if they are in the third person, are telling a story from a viewpoint. If there's no story, it's just data. Now, this might make you ask, well, why don't reporters just give data? The simple answer is, we are not computers. We are humans, and human brains don't work that way. They receive an enormous amount of data all the time, and language and stories are the mechanisms that the brain has developed for, it, for organizing that data in an understandable way. Even if newspapers were to switch to just posting graphs and tables, it still wouldn't fix anything because even data can be biased. An example. I used to work for an immigration nonprofit, and whenever the anti-immigrant groups wanted to convince people how bad immigrants were for America, they would just release a set of numbers, and it would say, this is how much immigrants are costing America. And what would follow would be a list of things immigrants did that cost taxpayer money. Now, this could be schools, health care, the criminal justice system, all tallied up into a big old number that made it neat and clear immigrants are bad. If that data was accurate, and it wasn't, it would seem to be uh, solid proof that we should try to reduce immigration into the United States. 
Now, of course, that wasn't the only data. Our organization would then release our own set of data, which would tabulate the amount of money immigrants paid in taxes and contributed to economic growth, arguing that the anti-immigrant groups were basically just showing a bank account with only the withdrawals and none of the deposits. And guess what? Our number was much bigger than their number. Immigrants are good. We should open our doors. Now, this is not, of course, to say that this was the correct interpretation of data. It was certainly more correct, it was certainly more complete, but at the bottom of the entire discussion was an assumption that everyone engaging in the debate implicitly agreed upon. A human's presence in this country must be economically justified to be acceptable. That is a moral opinion right there, and a fairly controversial one at that. One could argue that human life should not be reduced to its monetary value and that it is ghoulish and weird to see other humans in terms of how many dollars you can wring out of them. Data will not save you, because there is a lot of it, too much to even comprehend sifting through, and by choosing which data is important, you are making a subjective choice. Going back to written journalism... Even angling for fairness in reporting, journalists are committing an act of bias simply by choosing to report on something. Now, say you're a reporter working for the local newspaper. You have a couple of leads in front of you for your next story, but you can only pick one. The first is the story of a murder of a white woman by an immigrant. The second is a story of corporate bribery of government officials which resulted in the pollution of a nearby river. Now, both of these stories are 100% true, they actually happened, and you'd be able to hunt down the five W's, the who, what, where, when, and why, and you'd be able to report on them accurately. Which one are you going to pick? Now, your answer says something about your political preferences. If you want stricter immigration laws, the murder story is the obvious choice, as it illustrates the consequences of what you see as weak immigration laws. If you care about the environment or hate the influence that big money has over elected officials, the pollution story is the one for you. But your choice also says something about your economic and professional incentives. The murder story has all the elements of a front-page headline. It will, as the newsies say, sell lots of papes. The masses love a good murder story, especially where there's a racial element to them, because it really gets their blood boiling. The second story might be awful on a much larger scale, but it will likely not sell quite as much. People don't buy papes for ecological catastrophes and corruption like they do for murder. They even have a line about that in the Newsies, which I was going to try and sing. But guys, it's my first podcast. I'm already self-conscious about my voice. I'm not singing on this. Maybe in a future one. Go watch the video online. The, the song's called Carrying the Banner. Now, the pollution story will also be more labor-intensive because you're going to be reporting unfavorably on powerful people who will have the incentive and the means to make life difficult for you. It's going to mean digging through piles of receipts rather than interviewing sobbing relatives of the murdered beauty queen. And yes, I just made her a beauty queen. Roll with it. This is my hypothetical. The pollution story may also lose your paper advertisers. It could use uh, political power brokers could, could cut off access to their offices in retaliation to your reporting. And all of this will force your editor and, the, and your publisher to make some hard decisions about whether the story you're writing is worth putting the entire paper in jeopardy. This sounds like a ridiculously skewed hypothetical example, but it's not far off from the calculus that reporters and their editors use to determine what to report on. Journalistic labor is limited, and publishing is a business. So more in-depth, harder-to-research stories often fall by the wayside in exchange for the tawdry, beauty-slain-by-an-immigrant story. Now, there are some fairly disturbing implications for our democracy if there is no such thing as objectivity. But, let's be honest, we all know what those implications are because they've been part of our daily lives for years now. Large swaths of our country think that vaccines are putting micro microchips into their bloodstream, that the CIA used psychedelics to develop mind control techniques, and that the Democratic Party is actually an elaborate front for a ring of pedophiles. 
The sheer amount of conspiracy theories and intentional disinformation out there makes it hard to know what's real anymore, because the world we live in is so fucking insane that all of it sounds plausible. For one thing, the CIA did use psychedelics on unwitting Americans to, uh, to attempt to learn mind control. Google Project MKUltra. And governments and corporations are tracking your every move. They're just doing it through your phones and your metadata, not through vaccine-administered microchips. And while, all of us, while, while all of us are out here laughing at QAnon for thinking that the Democratic Party is a pedophile ring, we as a planet learned over the last 20 years that one of the most powerful and respected institutions in the world, the Roman Catholic Church, was basically basically an elaborate front for a ring of pedophiles. Is that an exaggeration? Sure, if that helps you sleep at night. But the damage is done. The fact is that all of these conspiracy theories seem to rhyme with the truth, and that makes them easy for relatively sane people to swallow when they are twisted into something that's Pizzagate levels of bonkers. Which makes it that much more important for those of us who believe in democracy to be media literate. And we can't do that if we keep pretending that our preferred media sources are objective and everything else is biased. Now, what follows are a set of totally biased rules for better media consumption. Rule number one, stop looking for unbiased media and start looking for media that discloses its bias. If a writer or a news outlet is honest, they will disclose their bias. Anyone claiming objectivity should be immediately suspect because it means that they are at best unaware of their own biases and at worst are actively misleading you. If a writer or outlet does not immediately disclose its bias, you can typically find out rather quickly by Googling them or in a pinch the owner of their publication. If the owner is a billionaire who dumps money into the election funds of liberals or conservatives, you'll have a good sense of what the publication is trying to promote. If the publication is run by a specific religious group or a political party, you'll know exactly what they are trying to do. If you really want to go into a deep dive, look at their advertisers. Publications tend to not bite the hand that feeds them. Now, this does not mean that individual reporters at a paper won't take a stand. It just means they are taking a professional risk by doing so and are putting their editors in awkward positions. After a while, you'll start to identify reporters you trust and you'll seek out their writing when you're in doubt. Rule number two. Identify your own bias, then get outside your comfort zone. Now, you should know what you believe in. You have moral preferences, and, like all human beings, you are subject to cognitive biases. Hands down, one of the best rabbit holes to go on, uh, go down on Wikipedia is their list of cognitive biases page. I got a link to it on the uh, text version on the uh, Better Stranger Substack. At the very least, you should know about confirmation bias, negativity bias, the framing effect, and the Dunning-Kruger effect. I'll let you uh, look those up on your own. I don't have time in here to explain all of them. Cognitive biases aside, be aware that you have values, and these values influence what you believe. That's not an inherently bad thing. You can believe in curiosity, in kindness, in freedom, in equality, in beauty, and so on. All of these are admirable values, but your adherence to them will influence what type of information and stories you'll be attracted to. One of the best ways to identify your own bias is to catch yourself when you're reading something you totally agree with. If you're reading an article and you're internally saying things like, yes, obviously, that's so true, then it's probable that you're reading a bias that is in keeping with your own. If everything you read is something you totally agree with, then guess what? You're in a bubble. You should spend more time getting out of your comfort zone. Uh, this is rule 2A, corollary. Getting outside of your comfort zone does not mean getting into a Nazi's comfort zone. So to be clear, listening to other perspectives does not mean you should start listening to InfoWars. If you know what your values are, guess what? You don't have to read stuff that runs against them. 
I, for example, decided a while back, uh, I think to be exact around when I was 12 and I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time, that Nazis were bad. Now that I've made that decision, why would I read what a fascist has to say about anything? Why would I need to get in their head? If I'm looking for a viewpoint that's different from my own to expand my worldview, I, a straight white man, could read a book by an indigenous person, by a trans woman, by a black man, by an immigrant, by a Dickensian street urchin, by literally anyone with a different experience than mine to get a broader take on an issue. When people say, oh, I watch Fox News to see what the other side is saying, they don't realize that A, there are way more than two sides, and B, they are giving the other side a chance to work its propaganda on them. If all journalism is at some level propaganda, you need to be super judicious about which propaganda you expose yourself to. Now, why get into a Nazi's head when you can get into the head of the Jew that fled them, or the Italian communist who resisted them, or the Danish factory worker who sabotaged them? Your attention is a privilege, and you can ask any toddler for confirmation, and you should decide who is worthy of that privilege. Now, in my case, though I identify politically with the anti-authoritarian left, I will still read stuff written by more centrist liberals because I believe that we have the same values, even if I think they're entirely wrong in how they apply them. I'll also go out of my way to read stuff by people who aren't just straight white dudes like myself, people who have historically had less power. Um, you know, this can be extremely uncomfortable to read, given that most of the world's oppressed people have been oppressed by straight white dudes like myself. Um, but I'm still getting a diversity of worldviews. I'm just not wasting any of my bandwidth on Ayn Rand or Tucker Carlson. Rule number three, be humble. Once in a while, you are going to believe something that is wrong, something that is demonstrably incorrect, something that makes you look like a complete dumbass. When you find out, don't panic. Think of the following things. One, a lot of what you once learned as fact is now embarrassingly outdated. You are not stupid for still believing it. You've just been busy having a life, falling in love, having kids, building a career, and occasionally experimenting with various fun-time substances. You do not need to feel bad about living your life instead of constantly fact-checking the stuff that you learned in high school. Number two, given our cognitive biases, the amount of mis misinformation out there, and the sheer list, uh, limits of human perception and understanding, it is amazing that anyone is correct about anything ever. But through the simple act of seeking the truth, humans have split the atom, cured smallpox, and invented Dippin' Dots, the ice cream of the future. Truth is a journey, it's not a destination, and committing to the process rather than to a specific objective will make you feel a hell of a lot better about screwing up. Number three, one bit of information that challenges your view of the world does not necessarily mean that your view of the world is wrong. It just means you need to adopt a more nuanced worldview. And number four, remember what F. Scott Fitzgerald once said, the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in the mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. F. Scott Fitzgerald was super smart. He wrote The Great Gatsby. By not rejecting inconvenient information, you are basically a cool jazz age guy holding a cocktail. It is also worth noting that there are worldviews that you can hold that allow you to become less dogmatic and more open to new thoughts and ideas. But that is for another podcast. In the meantime, humility in our thinking is, not a, is a sign of intelligence, not stupidity. Be more biased. The most insidious thing about the desire to be unbiased is that it often induces a state of complete moral spinelessness. In our insistence on seeing both sides, we can get lost in a haze of rhetoric and propaganda and never take a step back and say, hmm, 
On the one side is a man with the boot on his neck. On the other side is the man wearing the boot. Most of us would like to think that, confronted with this reality, we'd maybe stop having lengthy conversations about the two different perspectives and we give the man with the boot a great big shove so he doesn't kill the other guy. To do that, of course, would mean that the man with the boot would shout at us for being biased. Heaven forbid, could there possibly be anything worse than being seen as unfair? Guys, uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, you know, I'll, I'll get a hang of the podcast thing. I'm totally new to it, so uh, just jumping in, but I appreciate it. Um, Better Strangers is now thrice weekly. Uh, there's a podcast coming out on Monday. There's an article coming out on Wednesday, and there is a, um, it's called a Jimble Jamble on Friday, which is basically just, you know, links and TikToks I thought were funny, um, and occasionally, you know, like book recommendations and things like that. So uh, that's going to be happening three times a week. There are also paid subscriptions available. Paid subscriptions are the same as free subscriptions, except I'll send you like a doodle and maybe some books if you do it for like a full year. Um, most of what you get by doing a paid subscription is the warm, fuzzy feeling that you're supporting an independent writer. Um, thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the newsletter uh, and uh, please give me some feedback. Uh, I am very new at this and I'm just going to figure it out while I go. Uh, thank you so much and have a wonderful new year.